Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 388 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name is Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers Centre, where you'll find a wonderfully supportive writing community and fantastic writing courses. I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. How are you, Al? Well, how am I? I'm actually... We're sort of like beyond fair to middling this week. It's been an interesting week in for me. In a positive me. direction? In a positive direction. Beyond right. means upward. Okay, all right. Below upward. means yes. not. Okay. Um, yes, might, you might want to put that in your word of the week and we'll see how we go with it, shall we? Um, so last week, uh, in exciting news, the Firestar was a 2021 uh, Children's Book Council of Australia yes. notable book. Yay, I know. So, I know. So that was a big day. That was very, very exciting mm. um, to see it there in such excellent company. It's um, it's it's sort of forms the long list for the Children's Book Council of Australia's Book of the Year awards, yes. um, and it's in the younger readers category, which is uh, which is very great. I mean, you know, it's a kind of thing where you write books because you like writing books, but mm. when other people recognise that they're you know, they're okay. That's mm. very exciting moment. So that More was big. than okay. They're notable. Notable. I know notable. Mm. I feel like I should just get a T-shirt. Mm. I am notable. What do you reckon? Just, That's a good idea. Just on a shirt, just mm-hmm. to wear at all times. I have been walking around telling my boys all week that they cannot argue with me. Because I am notable <laughs> and they are not listening to me at all about that, but that's okay. Um, and then the second thing that happened was uh, that I was a prize in the Premier's Reading Challenge. Did um, you have to pop out of a cake? I kind of felt like I did pop out of a cake a little bit. I had to uh, I had to go to Sydney and I had to uh, to Strathfield Girls High, oh. and I had to give a a talk there, an author talk there, and it was the prize for. The winner of the words, I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm obviously across this, but it was the words and pictures prize or something along those lines for the Premier's Reading Challenge in the Years 7 to 9 category. Oh. And it was won by this fabulous um, girl from Stratfield Girls High School who created a brilliant artwork around um, Animal Farm, George Orwell's Animal Farm. It really was very, very clever. And uh, so she won the prize and the prize was me. I mean, you know, you've got to ask yourself, don't you? Um, I know I said that to the boys as well. I'm like, not only am I notable, but I am a prize and still they would not pack the dishwasher. Um, so, yeah, so I went and I gave my gave my talk at Strathfield Girls High School and uh, for 400 students, it, it was my first talk in quite some time, as you know, because I mean my first face-to-face one, mm. I haven't, haven't, you know, put foot outside my front door for a while. Mm. Um, so it was a little bit, um, a little bit nerve-wracking um, just because I was a bit out of practice and I wasn't quite sure. I mean, I don't know why it was nerve wracking because it's not like I haven't done this many, many, many times before. Um, but I think it was just the 400 is a lot of people to entertain, um, at once. And particularly I had a group of year sevens and a group of year tens in the same room and they're quite different audiences. Um, as far as giving a, an author talk, they are actually quite different audiences. Um, so yeah, I was a bit, concerned about how I was going to manage all that but you know I just stood up the front and waved my arms around a lot and and you know my hair went flying and everything seemed fine so your hair went flying <laughs> well it just sort of does like I, every time I see photos of myself you know mid author talk my my hands are like waving wildly and my hair seems to be 
frizzing in a mad scientist kind of way. That's <laughs> kind of what it looks like. It might be the electric energy in the room, ah, yes. maybe. Yeah. That would be it, right? Yeah. Anyway, so that's what I've been doing. So it's been um, not a fair to middling week, more of a notable prize week. There you that's go. That's so exciting. That's fantastic. Yeah. It was exciting. Congratulations. What about you? How goes the bubble wrap saga? <laughs> For those following along at home, Val managed to order a small town's worth of bubble wrap. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I thought I would be able to bubble wrap many things and make it useful. And I bubble wrapped Mm. like stuff that I'm putting in storage, like mirrors and, you know, things that require bubble wrap. And even though I bubble wrapped everything humanly possible. Including the cat. Oh, everything. It's, I have still ridiculous amounts left over. So Mm. we have contacted Officeworks, thank you Officeworks, who have told us that I can return one of the rolls to um, my local office works, um, but it is so huge it doesn't fit into the car. So now I have to like hire a van. <laughs> the or... saga continues. You need you need a mate with a ute. That's one of the joys. We've actually got a ute. Um, oh, you know, handy. if I was up the road from you, I would come and collect your bubble wrap for you. Um, but yeah. we are, in fact, several hundreds of kilometres apart. Yes. But, um, yeah, that's the, one of the great joys of living in the country is that there's generally someone with a ute available oh, for yes. these sorts of activities. Need a ute. We've but... actually got two utes. Wow. Yeah, Why would we you are... need two? Anyway. So even though we have a station wagon, um, Mm. yeah, does not fit into that. So oh yes, it's it's complex, isn't it? The first world problem. But anyway, let's move on. We want to give a big shout out (laughs) to (laughs) WFFME from Australia, who kindly left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts entitled Love 'em <laughs> and said I've only just discovered this potty and by golly you can teach an old blog new tricks <laughs> I'm mid my life and have only just confessed to being a writer Woo-hoo. always uh-huh. have been but apologize for my nature by calling it a hobby nothing serious don't, don't worry I won't put it out there well guess what oh here I come y'all and Val and Al are helping me stay inspired and fired and keep the faith I do have a place in this world which if you read my memoir I've never felt my whole life that's from WFFME from Australia wow. fantastic welcome to the club welcome to the club <laughs> than happy to have you here enthusiastic comment like that it's great this enthusiasm of all levels is sensational, isn't it? Just yes. a pick-me-up right there. It's well great. done. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you leaving that review. And uh, absolutely, you're a writer. That's fantastic. I think that that's great. You're, you're, you feel inspired to be able to and, and confident enough to be calling yourself that. And, hmm. of course, if anyone else has 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast platform is, we'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings and it helps us reach more people. Right. Now, we have some other news for those people who are interested in copywriting. We have launched a new podcast called So You Want to Be a Copywriter by we. <laughs> I feel like we've got a family. I know. <laughs> That's right. I'd just like to point out this is not me. I'm yes, not involved not, in yes, this one. Or, or me. It is our wonderful uh, copywriting presenter, Bernadette Schwert, and she is hosting our sister podcast, So You Want to Be a Copywriter. Just search for it 
um, on Apple Podcasts or wherever. It's fantastic. I've listened to the ones that have already been released and it's a cracker and it really does focus on if you want to specifically grow your copywriting business, get paid as a copywriter, um, you know, which is very, very different to the to the fiction and, and the kind of books that we talk about. Um, so it gets down into the nitty gritty of the business of copywriting and techniques with copywriting. So check that out. Now, what else have we got uh, this week, Al, in terms of writing and publishing? Oh, I just wanted to, um, speaking of the Premier's Reading Challenge, which I was a prize for on Monday, um, yes. I just wanted to flag that the um, New South Wales Premier's Reading Challenge opens this week for mm-hmm. uh, school students, uh, you know, up to year 12, kinder to year 12. There's a whole bunch of different um, reading lists and various other bits um, available on their website. I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's actually easier to find it just by Googling New South Wales Premier's Reading yeah. Challenge, uh, where they have a whole bunch of different book lists. I think it actually goes to grade nine. I think I'm lying. It's not year 12. Um, but um, I'm very excited because the Firestar has been added to the list uh, this year. So that's all of my books on the Premier's Reading Challenge. Uh, I know. It's it's a it's a real honour. I'm so um, chuffed to be there. Um, and I'm also on the South Australian Premier's Reading Challenge list as well. And, and I haven't checked the others. But um, yeah. So if you've got a kid sort of, you know, kindy to year nine and you're trying to encourage them to read uh, more and read more widely, it is a fantastic thing for them yes. to get involved in. You know, there's certificates and prizes and all all kinds of different things. Some schools take it on as an entire school. Mm. Um, Strathfield Girls High School is, is um, very, very onto it as far as trying to encourage, you know, encourage their girls to read widely. Um, and the thing it does, and when I say read widely, it encourages kids to read outside their typical genres. If you're reading books on the mm. list, they will take you through a whole bunch of different sections of the um, of the library that they may not necessarily get to. And one of the things that we talk about when we go to schools and do, you know, author talks and writing workshops and even, you know, with adult um adult writers uh, with the Australian Writers' Centre, is we talk about the importance of reading widely. And what happens is that people get into ruts, you know, and I know a lot of kids, you know, get into the Diary of a Wimpy Kid rut or the Treehouse rut or the, you know, various ruts. There's a lot of deep, deep, deep ruts that you can get into. Um, And what the Premier's Reading Challenge does is helps to encourage them out of those ruts. And it really helps with their writing to be reading lots of different types of stories. Um, And, you know, it's something else I talk about too when I talk to kids is, you know, I think you're made a, I mean, not every kid wants to be an author and that's totally fine. Mm. Um, But every single book that you read adds in that sort of back section of your brain somewhere that takes all this stuff in by osmosis. It just adds something to your knowledge of how sentences are structured, how characters come together, how a book, how a narrative is structured, um, and so trying to get them to kind of like try different things um, is a great thing. And also for reluctant readers, you know, people just give them the same types of books over and over, and then wonder why they don't want to read. Whereas sometimes it's the least expected book that will turn them into a reader. Um, so, you know, try graphic novels, try verse novels, try, you know, all the different things. And that's what these reading challenges are fantastic at is just taking kids down those rabbit holes that they may not necessarily go down. So that's my spiel and my soapbox for today. Yeah. Well, I think that that's um, uh, very, very important and, and, and encouraging reading. I mean, gosh, don't you remember when you were little and um, – 
I just thought library day was the best day ever with my little library bag thing. And, I know, you know, me too. In fact, you know, I've been trying to recapture the thrill of library day for the rest of, you know, like ever since really. Like you grow out of it and then it's like where's that excitement level ever again? My only complaint with library day was that little bag that we had, which was like a drawstring bag. Yeah, yeah. Because it was the book books are heavy. The drawstring always cut into your hands. Yeah, you just you needed a better bag. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, bit champ. All right, let's move on to a post that we've got on manuscript awards to enter in twenty twenty one, and it's actually a post that we'll add to uh, throughout the year, but it has some great links in it at the moment on on awards that you can enter, and I think that entering awards for any aspiring novelist um, and writer is really, really important because it gives you something to aim for, but also you can win a prize. And we love a good prize, don't we? Yes, <laughs> we right. do. You can often win publication for an unpublished yes. manuscript or you can win, um, you know, prize money or whatever for a published story. So they're definitely always worth uh, worth keeping an eye on. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. one of the biggest ones we've discussed in the last couple of weeks is, you know, the Australian Vogel's Literary Award for yes. Unpublished Manuscripts. But, you know, there's things like the Penguin Literary Prize, which will come up a bit later. There is There are the, um, the text prize. Um, mm-hmm. There's, you know, for white for middle grade. There's a whole bunch of different ones. So it's really worth keeping an eye on them because if you recall, we've spoken to several authors, um, even just within living memory in the last six to 12 months, Mm. who got their start in publishing Mm. um, because of a a manuscript prize. Um, One that comes to mind is Imbi Nimi from, uh, what episode was she? Episode 335. She won the Penguin uh, Literary Prize. And you know that that's how her debut novel came to be published. And if you have a listen to that or at that interview, it's actually worth having a, a good listen to because she talks about the submission process. She talks about why you know why the number of competitions that she's entered over the years, why she did it, how it worked for her. Um, and so, if it's something that you've been toying with, this idea of you know entering mm-hmm. a competition, keep an eye on the post because you know something will come up that's going to be just right for what you're actually you know what the, what you're writing and where you're at. Yeah, fantastic. So we'll put the link in the show notes and I would suggest bookmarking that post because, as I said, we're going to update it as time goes on. Right, let's move on to our giveaway this week. We have a competition where you can win one of three copies of Space Hopper by Helen Fisher. So a little bit about it. Although Faye is happy with her life, the loss of her mother as a child weighs on her mind even more now that she is a mother herself. So she's amazed when, in an extraordinary turn of events, she finds herself back in her childhood home in the 1970s, faced with a chance to finally seek answers to her questions but away from her own family. How much is she willing to give up for another moment with her mother? Space Hopper is an original and poignant story about mothers, memories and moments that shape life so entries close on the 8th of march just go to writercenter.com.au slash win and follow the instructions to win one of three copies of space hopper by helen fisher that's writercenter.com.au slash win so now al uh, al takes a deep breath braces herself prepares are you ready for the word of the week Oh, it doesn't actually matter if I am or not. You're just going to go ahead. You're not exactly – you don't even listen to me anymore. I feel like we're in that relationship now where we just, you know, do our own thing. But fine, go ahead. 
Pinch Beck. It's one word, so pinch and then Beck, B-E-C-K. Pinch Beck. Do you know that? I don't know it, Val. Well, it may sound like a kind of hair clip, but it's not. According to the Macquarie Dictionary, it's an alloy of copper and zinc used, now now that might sound boring, but this bit is interesting, used in imitation gold. And so it also means something spurious or a sham. So it's actually named by the inventor of the metal, Christopher Pinchbeck, who was a London clockmaker and he used it in his clocks, but not in a dodgy way. He made it clear that you know, what he was using wasn't real gold. So it's kind of a shame that his poor name has become synonymous with sham. So if you want to use it in a sentence, you might say, lately I've been receiving a lot of pinchbeck emails from my bank trying to get my personal details. Uh You you would seriously not say that. But you know what fascinates me? So I've just gone because I find it quite an interesting word and quite an interesting concept. And for me, it's like you'd be more likely to say, you know, it's a pinchbeck bag that I bought in Bali, right? Pinchbeck Gucci bag I bought well, in Bali. Yes, it's more okay. likely to be that. So I thought, yes. okay, well, maybe there's a design. Maybe if I look up pinchbeck design, somebody's actually <laughs> taken it on. But some people have taken it on, but I'm thinking that they maybe don't actually know what it means when I when I Google it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I, oh. well, I don't think I'd call it, like if it was a legitimate thing, I don't think I'd call it that, would you? No, mm. but okay, well, some people, I would just circle back and say that some people might say pinchback emails from my ba- from my bank. Yeah, but they won't. Well, you but say we'll, you're, you're, you use the word prandial. Okay, well, I want to know, <laughs> anyone out there has ever in living memory used the word pinchback <laughs> in any way, shape or form? Any All of right. you? let us know. Please do. <laughs> and that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and much more, as well as tips on publishing. The online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your classmates and tutor throughout the program. Have a listen to Petronella McGovern. My name's Petronella McGovern. I've done four courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. I'm excited to say I'm a published author of a book called Six Minutes, which is a psychological thriller set in Canberra. Before I started the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I was working from home as a writer in marketing communications. When you've got the kids and work and everyday life, then writing often gets pushed to the background. I wanted to do a course that helped me prioritise my writing and put it first. I signed up to the Write Your Novel six-month program to kickstart my novel. I had written a few chapters, but I really was not finding the time with work and kids. So the six-month Write Your Novel was, as it implies, six months, and a weekly class We had deadlines for chapters, we had deadlines to workshop and give feedback. And it really helped give you the support to write a really long piece of work. So when you sit down to look at writing a novel of 100,000 words, it's a large task. And the classes really supported me all the way through that process. The tutor talked about how to structure a novel. 
and then we could look at that in terms of our own novel and see how it would go. It was useful for me to think about where certain things should happen in the novel and how to keep the action going and when to set a climax and when to end the novel. The tutors at the Australian Writers' Centre are so helpful and practical. They're all practising authors and they share their experience and their wisdom very generously with their students. Through the Australian Writers' Centre, I've made lifelong friends who are fellow writers and we're supporting each other through our writing journeys. What I really like about the Australian Writers' Centre is that they have a range of courses and so there are great options for whatever stage you're in. If it wasn't for the Australian Writers' Centre, it would have taken me a lot longer to finish my first draft of six minutes and a lot longer, I think, to get it published. I really enjoyed the feedback and the support that I got through the Australian Writers' Centre, through the tutors and the other people in our class. I would say get started on a course as soon as you can. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash novel writing. All right, so let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Our, we have Kelly Hawkins, who's debut adult novel is Other People's Houses. Now I have to say Al, when I heard about this book I immediately wanted to read it because this is a book uh, where the main character is a woman who spends her weekend her weekends going into other people's houses. In other words open for inspections and kind of there's a lot more to it, which Kelly can explain when we when we hear from her. But I thought that was kind of a little bit uh, interesting because, and I had a giggle, because I kind of do that. <laughs> but I have to say I don't do it for the same reasons as, as Kelly's character, which, you know, is for completely different reasons. Um, in As part of the freelance writing that I do, I'm the real estate editor for, you know, one of the newspapers, and so I do go to some open for inspections. But I thought it was fascinating because when I started reading it, there's a lot of the language and a lot of the little nuances that uh, only people who go to open for inspections understand. <laughs> well, not quite. A anyone can enjoy this book. It is quite a page turner, and there's lots that we can learn from Kelly. So here is Kelly Hawkins. Thanks for joining us, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Now, your book, Other People's Houses, oh, page turner. Re <laughs> oh, that's uh, just good. <laughs> loved it, devoured it. Um, for people who haven't um, grabbed a copy yet, can you tell us what it's about? Sure. Um, well, it's a thriller and it's set in Sydney on the North Shore. So it focuses on a woman, Kate. So when the novel begins, it's the 10th anniversary of her son's death. Uh, and Kate's still grieving for him and she isn't coping very well at that time. She's drinking too much. She's just generally a mess. Um, and so what Kate does, she's a, she's a borderline alcoholic, but she hung over. She goes to open houses on the wealthy North Shore every week and she imagines the lives of the families who live in those houses. And at each one she takes a memento, something small, just something that people won't miss uh, to remember the house by. But then she visits the hiding house, which is um, a just a really house that really strikes a nerve within her. She thinks it's perfect. In that house, she sees a photo of what she believes is the perfect family. There's a kind-looking man, a beautiful woman who she actually knew went back in university, and a boy that she believes uh, from, for just a little moment might be her own son. Of course he isn't. 
um, and Kate becomes obsessed with the Hardings. She uncovers the lies and the secrets and, and insinuates herself into their lives. Uh, but then when someone is murdered, uh, Kate desperately needs to find out who that is before the police arrest her for it because she's been quite suspicious <laughs> for this whole time. Yeah. So it's a book about grief and betrayal and guilt, secrets, motherhood, and, of course, it's about real estate. Yes. So it is called Other People's Houses. And as you say, it's about this woman who spends her weekends in other people's houses. It's quite yes. a specific yes. premise. Where in the, and as soon as I read it, I was intrigued uh, for a number of reasons, but um, I'll get into those later. But um, how in the world did this premise come into your head? Do you go to other people's houses on the weekend? <laughs> Well, when the idea came to me, yeah, I was. I was. We were selling our house and we were looking to buy. So I guess I was, and I still, like I'm actually renting now, I've sold again. Um, so I do have a real interest in open houses. And I just think it's fascinating how we can, you know, we're quite private, I guess, people generally. But then when we have an open house, we just let any old people in, um, mm. let them wander all around our house, look at everything we have. And it's just, yeah, it's just an interesting thing for me to be able to see what people, other, how other people live, I suppose. So how did the idea start to form that this could be a book, this idea mm. of this woman going into people's houses on the weekend? Um, well, the idea of the woman going to open houses and taking the memento just came to me, just that particular idea. And I, I just thought that was, that could be a good hook, I guess, for a book. Um, so there was that, um, that came to me in sort of one well, late at night actually. And I wrote that down. And so then the other parts of the book, I guess, are about, um, about motherhood and, uh, and grief and losing, losing a child or having something terrible happen to your children. And I had young children at the time. So that sort of, I guess, was always in my mind. So those two things sort of came together and I just, I guess I'd been reading similar books. I, I really like the unreliable narrator sort yeah. of, which, which she definitely is. Um, so I guess all those things just came together for me really. So we have Kate's story. We have the story of you know the 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 Harding family, um, the what the the family she kind of becomes obsessed with. When mm -hmm. you um, were writing this book, did you kind of just start writing based on this premise of going to other people's houses and taking a memento and and seeing what ha and you know sort of just discover what happens as you started writing, or did you kind of know? where Kate's story was going and where the Harding's story was going? Uh, for this one, I really did just start writing and had no idea what was going to happen. Um, mm. I, this was, I've, I'd written kids' books before mm. um, and young adult, but I hadn't written adult books at all and um, hadn't really planned on it until I had this idea. And so when I got it, I actually, um, I actually sent the premise uh, like a vague synopsis off to the Faber Academies, um, writing a novel. They have a scholarship every year. So I sent the premise and a story that I'd written, unrelated story that I'd written off to that and, and got that scholarship, which really surprised me. <laughs> um, so I spent six months driving or training down to Newca um, from Newcastle down to Sydney to do that once a week. So that's when I really started writing that book so um yeah and I just started writing without too much planning in it at all so but I wouldn't do that again and I don't do that anymore <laughs> <laughs> why wouldn't you do that again 
Oh, it's just too – there's too many it's, – it's difficult, I think. You have to go back and change so much, I think. Um, I'm always probably better at, at character and dialogue and stuff than I am at plot anyway, so I'm better off – I've discovered figuring out some of that stuff before I get started. <laughs> Otherwise, there's lots and lots of edits to be done. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of two timelines in this book, um, the present day, um, mm-hmm. but also we you, you interweave that with um, yep. Kate's life before her son died. Yes. So – was that a conscious decision from the start to structure it that way? And again, did you just kind of just start writing and go, Oh, I'll go back now in time. Oh no, we'll come in the present. Oh no, I'll go back. Or did you <laughs> write a, a present day story and then a, a, a past story and then interweave them? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I did just do it as I went. So I'd write um, and just when it felt right, I'd add in um, something about the past um, which did get shuffled around a lot and things were changed a lot. But, um, yeah, I didn't do, didn't do them separately. They sort of, I guess, for me, go together. Otherwise, I would have, yeah, it would have been too confusing. So they were, they were together. And the structure, I guess, of the book was fairly straightforward because it's sort of, it's the, the time that you would have a house on the market for, so leading up to an auction. So it's about six yes. weeks. <laughs> so it worked. That was quite easy to, um, to I guess, that, that was straightforward and then the back the backstory I'd put in just when it felt right so I put it when I think the reader needed to know something is when I'd when I'd put a bit in there that told them what they needed to know I guess that's how I figured it out yeah yes I love how and this doesn't give anything away but I love how that the different sections of the book are first open house Second open house. Yeah. <laughs> Third open house. Um, I'm going to open houses at the moment, so I'm finding this particularly <laughs> intriguing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you, you really yeah. nailed the lingo of the real estate agents and the, yep. the, the looks that they give you and, you know, yes. how they assess you and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> well, it is very much the same though, isn't it? You do, yeah, you start to see how much, yeah, it's very, it is a certain language, I think. Yes, yes. Um, okay, so... Tell me about because you said that you like you're 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 stronger with you know your characters and stuff like that and you have um, Kate is is such a flawed character Mm -hmm. for many reasons and but you can just totally see um, but but yet she's so believable uh, Mm -hmm. as well and you can really understand. Because it's it's told from her point of view, yep. you can really understand the thoughts that she's having, even though some of them are, are a bit bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did you get into the head of Kate? Like, did you have some kind of character dossier, or you know, how did you really get to know her? Um, yeah, for me, she's. I guess she's not. Not that bizarre. I don't know, she, which sounds a bit, <laughs> might not be good for me. <laughs> it doesn't know what it says about me. But um, for me, she's a, she's obviously exaggerated and mm. and not stable. But her, she's pretty normal to me in some ways. And she's probably toned back from when I first wrote her. She was probably, you know, I, I kept getting advice to make her not quite so unstable. <laughs> oh. um, and, you know, not so swearing and, not, or, you know, lots of things that she did mm-hmm. that aren't. <laughs> necessarily great but um yeah I don't know I to me she uh, she's not me but she it, it's not hard for me to imagine her I guess 
Yes, because I think that most of us are secretly going to be reading this thinking, oh, my God, I do that. Oh, my God, I do that. (laughs) Oh, I totally do that. (laughs) And that's sort of what I set out to do because, I don't know, you read some books. I mean, there are flawed characters, obviously, in a lot of novels, but you read some and they're always – they're a bit too good or a bit too nice. And I sort of started Mm. off wanting her to be more normal, I guess, and probably went further the other way. But she's (laughs) – yeah, she's not – I didn't. I deliberately didn't want her to be lovely and redeemable, but mm. you know, she sort of ended up being a little bit of that as well. Mm-mm. So, Kate, uh, her son, um, passed has passed away ten years before um, yes. the book is set, and as you say, it is very. Uh, it does deal with themes of grief. Mm. Um, now, I understand that. Um, before that, that you had to, you were going through your own grief at the time well, of writing yeah. this book. No, actually, I wasn't. Like, I, <laughs> I actually wrote this book like well before that. Like, um, which is which is odd. Like, I wrote this. I started writing this in 2016, but okay. um, in 2018, my husband was diagnosed with um, terminal bowel cancer, mm. so he was given two months to live at the time, and he he lived a bit longer than that. He lasted about nine months, um, so he died in 2019. So I had actually written all of this well before he got sick, which is kind of weird because you think it would be mm. after he died I couldn't write at all so of course yeah or even yeah during the sickness so there was quite a long time when I didn't write um I could edit a little bit but really just had no time or you know no mental mental space for doing mm. any of that stuff so so yeah the, all the grief stuff was actually written just based on my imagination right okay mm. um so what was the hardest thing about writing this book? Um, I think, well, for me, always probably with my writing generally is just a lack of confidence. Um, I'm not not one of those people, like I write and I don't, you know, everything seems terrible that I write mm-hmm. <laughs> as I'm writing it. And, and writing a book like this, I'd written three other books before this um, and, and had a little bit of interest from um, – from publishers. Oh, you, you know, mean adult books? I mean, books no, a kid, no, oh, two, the kids kids, mm-hmm. two, two young adult books and a, and a kid's book. Mm-hmm. And I'd had some interest, but I'd had, um, you know, but nothing solid. And so then doing this one, I'm, uh, I guess the main thing, the hardest thing for me was just trying to get it done and thinking, is it worth it? You know, you've got a busy life and kids and you know, everything going on mm. jobs and it's, it's, yeah, you've got to, to try and, conjure up that faith that it's going to be worth doing because you know even after the first draft there's edits and there's just so much to be done so I guess the hardest thing for me is is having faith that it was you know that such a big project that lasts for such a long time is worth continuing. Mm. What were you doing um, while you were writing the book did you have a full-time job at the time and how did you fit it in? I didn't have a full-time job I haven't had a full-time job or I hadn't since my kids before my kids were born. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working part time. I think the most I've always seen, I've changed jobs a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think when I was writing this one, I was working as a staple remover actually for some of that time. What? Do, what? Um, yeah. What do you mean you were working as a staple remover? It's, yeah, it's a. Uh, I've had different jobs, and I sort of after the kids were born, I just I, I quite like. Um, having jobs that don't require me to do too much thinking because I like to think 
while I'm doing them about other things, if yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, otherwise your brain just can't cope with everything. But um, so the staple removing job is just for like a uh, – it's a storage sort of um, data company. So mm-hmm. they scan, they get – they've got a whole warehouses of boxes and they yeah. you get the box and you um, remove all the staples of all these documents yeah. and then prepare them for the scanners who then scan them all in so that they're digital and then they get destroyed. So – that, yeah, so basically I was doing that for a while. Eventually I moved on to the scanning, but I did do this staple removing for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> what was the most rewarding thing about writing this book? Um, finishing it, I guess. <laughs> yes. Because by the flip side of, um, yeah, finishing it and 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 re- and deciding that it, maybe it wasn't that bad and, mm-hmm. you know, still needed work and, you know, but having people that I – and I don't show my, my work to anyone – except if I submit it to something. So having submitted to a few things and having people respond positively, I guess. Um, so, yeah, and, and even if you, even if they didn't, just the fact that I finished it, I suppose, mm. was also, you know, pretty good. So when you just start writing without knowing where it's going, it's mm-hmm. so important to have a powerful climax and ending. Mm, you know, it yeah. has to go somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you, but when you start writing, you don't know where it's going. How did no. you – did you try lots of different type, different endings or how did you know you hit the right one? Um, I didn't try lots of endings. I did edit it a fair bit, although the, this, I guess from the beginning it hasn't the, – the, you know, the main part of it never changed. There were lots of small things that changed just to make it more believable. Um but, yeah, I think you'd just go with your gut for stuff like that. Mm. Um, yeah, but like I said, I, I wouldn't really do that again. I think I would um, would try and plan it out. But I, it just sort of went in the direction that it went for that book and mm. I just followed it. But, yeah, it, it seemed obvious to me but, you know, that probably isn't. There's probably other ways you could do it as well. So you've written Young Adult and for Children. What, um, what made you decide that you wanted to write for adults? Like I said, I think I pretty much just decided the idea. I just thought the idea was really like I, I really thought open houses was an interesting mm. um, hook, totally. I guess. Um, and as soon as I had the idea and I had the idea for the for Kate, I suppose those two things just made me think I really would like to try it. And I am – I've always been one of those people that, like I said, I have lots of different jobs um, – you know, and then I decided to write. So I wrote for young adults, and then I wrote a kids book, and then I wrote an adults book, and I wrote another kids book. I I think I I get bored a little bit. You know, I, I tend to move on quite happily to something new, probably too early sometimes, <laughs> and I should stick at things a little bit longer. But um, yeah. So I guess for me, and when you don't have any, you don't have a publishing contract or anything, you can write whatever you want. You know. Mm. From when you're just sitting at your desk at home. So if the idea comes to me, comes to me to write something different, it doesn't seem that weird to do it. But when, yeah, when you <laughs> decided to write this book, did you then start going to more open houses? <laughs> no, I think I was going. I still, yeah, I go to them a lot. <laughs> My daughter even comes with me now. <laughs> what for? Uh, oh, now I am. Well, we are looking to buy again. So we did have a we did have a period. We did have a period where we weren't going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was always, I don't know, I always kept in the loop. But see, so I'm in Newcastle, which is yeah. a bit different to the, and obviously not expensive houses like the ones in the book. But um, yeah, I, I do, I do quite like them, especially if something's interesting <laughs> or if it's a 
good house that you think, oh, I wonder what that one's like. (laughs) (laughs) So you live in Newcastle, but this is set on the North Shore of Sydney around, you know, Atam and Taramara, you know, places like that. Um, Why? Uh, The real estate. I think it had to be Sydney because Sydney's just a real estate place and I wanted it to be where there were really you know, um, really, you just you just drive through that area and the houses are enormous and you know all landscaped beautifully and everything. I just thought it would be, and I know that area a little bit. Um, uh, I worked at um, Abbotsley School there years ago and various other places, so I do know that area somewhat. So I thought that would be perfect spot for it. So when you're writing, like when you're actually you know in the depths of writing, what would your typical day look like? Like, do you have a routine or any rituals or or yep. any targets? Yeah, I always have a word count target. And um, how many? Well, it depends on how desperate I am to get something done. Okay. <laughs> um, ideally, ideally a thousand is good. If I have to go much more, it starts to get a bit. Um, doesn't really work very well and the words get a bit hard to get to. Um, yeah, probably I try and do a 1,000 if I'm writing. Obviously, sometimes you're editing or whatever. And and I, my routine is just to sit down and write, really. I, I've got um, – I don't do anything until the kids are at school. They're teenagers now, but um, – so once they're at school, pretty much, depending on how, you know, um, how quickly I need to get stuff done, I just write – Ideally, until I get the word count done, but I, I will go to the try and go to the gym or go for a walk. A walk is good if you're trying to think of things. Um, so I try and get out as well because uh, sitting down for you know I get very distracted quite easily. <laughs> get up and make cups of tea and stuff. So yeah, so it's a bit of a mix, but I just try and sit down um, usually at a desk, um, but sometimes just on my bed or anywhere and just yeah get the words out, even if they're terrible, really. Mm-hmm. So what's next for you? Are you writing something now? Yeah, I'm trying to. Well, I'm I'm doing a couple of things because um, I've got a I've got a children's book coming out with HarperCollins in September. Mm-hmm. So that's that's all been edited and it's being illustrated. So um, at the moment, my I'm I've moved on to I've written a first draft of something new so that's with the publisher oh, for an, an adult, adult sorry mm-hmm. yeah for an adult book so that's and what the genre publishers. is that it's a similar one to mm-hmm. other people's houses mm-hmm. and so while that's with the publisher I'm now starting on the second kids book <laughs> so I'm waiting yeah so while I'm waiting on that I'm trying to think of what to do for the next kids book as well. So you're kind of alternating maybe. Yeah, yeah. So And so how do you switch gears? Like do you, is there anything in particular you need to do to get back into the headspace of the child um, or you know? Yeah, it's um, it's not too hard as long as you're not trying to do them both at the same time. <laughs> mm. I think I need to be like concentrating on only one type of thing because they are very different but getting back to the kids stuff is quite fun for me so I do um it's very like it's a like almost humorous um light sort of kids uh, books so yeah. it's quite nice I guess because it's so different to the adult stuff so yeah for me as long as I'm not doing them at exactly the same time it's mm. it's good and you, um, this book, um, the uh, other people's houses, is um, the the name uh, is Kelly Hawkins, but your yeah. children's book is another name, right? 
Yeah, I think we, we've gone with Kellyanne Hawkins, so it's not too different. We mm-hmm. ummed and art about having a whole separate name or mm-hmm. or going with initials, but in the end, they it's not too different. So no. they just I think they just wanted to differentiate them so kids aren't finding the books. <laughs> <laughs> unsuitable books. Yeah. Um, um, and so the 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 adult book is off with the publisher. And you're working on the kids' book. Is it a picture book or is it a – No, it's like a middle grade, so primary oh. age. Yeah. Okay. And do you know what it's about yet? Um, well, I'm still tossing ideas around, but early ideas are – I'm thinking sloths. That's my – Oh, just, okay. Just, just sloths. Okay. <laughs> just <laughs> – you, so you typically start with just a, a seed of an idea and something that intrigues you. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So yeah. why do you if like If I don't sloths? have that, it's no good. <laughs> why do you like sloths? Um, I don't know. It's it's the idea that there's going to be something secret about them, something different that no one knows about. So because I think they're such a funny animal that there's lots that kids enjoy about them just to look at. Um, so I think there's a lot that you could do to make them different to what people might think they are. So just to give us a really brief career history, you know, I, I think you mentioned that you kind of um, stopped working full time after you mm. started having kids. But what was the your career history before that? Just so people can get a little bit of an idea sure. of where, you know, um, the start of your career. Sure. Um, so I did, I did communications uh, at uni. So I, journalism. So I only did um, once I left uni. I just did a, a year or so, probably eighteen months or. So of journalism with a medical publication. Mm-hmm. So and then I, we went over. My husband and I went overseas. So we lived overseas for a while. Did the backpacking type of thing. Um, bit of that over there. Came back and I retrained as a graphic designer. My husband mm. was a computer programmer. So um, he was telling me how many how much work there was. This is back a long time ago, and there was a lot of work for web designing that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So I did that for a while, um, and then. We went overseas again and we came back and um, then I got – that's when I, when I got pregnant with Asha and um, and after that I just – I did, yeah, various jobs I suppose. So I've never been a real okay, – yeah, like I said, I tend to get a bit just um, bored in a job. Like I hardly mm. ever have a job for more than a couple of years. So um, I – yeah, and so once um, the kids were around, I did some work for Matt like – for my husband mm-hmm. um but other than that didn't do too much until uh they got a bit older and then started started writing at the same time actually and then went back part-time and did various other things I was a grant grant writer for a while mm-hmm. and communications officer so I've done sort of that sort of stuff that so combines I guess a bit of design and a bit of um writing uh and then yeah but when the kids were little was when I got interested in writing fully because mostly because I was reading them some terrible books and I just I just thought my goodness I can surely do better than some of these books there's some great ones but there was I think Asha liked the there were like books about fairies like they were just really uninspiring and Mm. yeah so I guess I thought it'd be worth a try what do you enjoy most about writing about the writing process um I enjoy lots of it. I find it very difficult, but mm-hmm. I and find it satisfying at the same time. And I like, I guess the, I I like the sort of the world building aspect where you, it's just when you get that idea and you 
start to think about who's who the people are and what's going to happen. So I like the beginning, I suppose, mm. um, particularly when you yeah. And then I I like uh, I'm quite a like I'm quite a introvert and I just like sitting on my own. I hated being in jobs where I had to talk to people. <laughs> so I love it when I'm home on my own and get to do what I want. It's brilliant. So Great. and yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I just like I like writing and I like doing every I like everything about it in that way. But mm. I do find it very hard. So um uh for finally for people who are listening and want to be in a position where you are one day, you know, having their first book out well this is not your first book but your first yeah. album um what are your top three tips for them uh well they're probably ones most people would have heard before um right is the, yes. probably the main one just you have to do it a fair bit and you have to do it most days if not every day but at least most days um because you just can't edit it if you don't have it there and um editing you know you really need to edit it so you have to get the words down mm-hmm. um the second one would probably be accept um accept advice and criticism because mm. no matter how good you think it is it's rarely that good mm. <laughs> that you don't that it doesn't need fixing in some ways and um and people you know generally give you good advice sometimes you'll reject some of it but mm. most most advice is pretty good that you get from publishers and editors and yeah. and other writers um and the third one i think it's if you start to submit or you start to, you know, be able to, um, you know, be in a position to, to, to get something published, be professional, like, mm. and be, be, it's a job and be, be pleasant, be on time, do all the, you know, make sure you are professional about it because it is, um, you know, you, you, you want to have this job hopefully for a long time. So you, you want to be treated well and you want to treat other people well, I think. Mm. Wonderful. Fantastic. On that note, thank you so much for your time today. Congratulations on other people's houses. It's going to be a hit, I have no doubt. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Valerie. I appreciate it. Right, there you go. So Kelly Hawkins and her latest book, Other People's Houses. So what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Well, possibly going to open for inspections, Valerie, like there's (laughs) – we do love a good open for inspection, I have to say. We, the builder and I, we what like to kick tyres. What do you like tires. about them? Well, we're kind of always looking at different things because we just like to, you know, I don't know, like we, I don't, I don't know. We just, you know, we've renovated a few houses. We just like to, you know, we're looking for what our next house might be maybe. I don't know what we're doing to be honest. Are you I think a renovator? Just, we have been. Yeah, we've done three. Oh. Oh my goodness and what's it like living in the renovation like I, I couldn't do it because I think my relationship wouldn't survive oh do you know what I actually made quite a good freelance living there for a little while out of exploiting mm-hmm. will renovation will a renovation ruin your relationship stories oh. you know and getting in psychologists to discuss it all and yes. it's a fascinating thing to do with someone else yes. we had yeah honestly like you have not lived until you have attempted to choose a white paint with the love of your life. This is what really sorts the men from the boys, you know, as far as, you know, I honestly, and my husband, like God love him, he's Mm. an extraordinary person in many ways and he is a builder and he Mm. is very, you know, he knows what he wants. Um, However, 
when it comes to the white paint is very particular. Ooh. And I remember, like, it's a it's a long-standing family joke, the white paint in this house. The boys just, like, go to town on these stories all the time. So we repainted our, in, our inside rooms um, a little while ago because when we bought the house, you know, it's an, she's an oldie, like it's an 1870s house, mm. and it had been restored. And so the inside was all painted like a cream colour, and I really don't like cream. Um, I'm very oh. much... Oh, it's very old ladyish. I don't like it at all. Okay. Um, and it also changes the quality of the light in a house. And when your mm-hmm. house is an oldie like ours is with very dark wooden floors, we have very wide, dark wooden floorboards, um, it just, you know, it makes everything darker. So we decided that we would repaint and we had to choose a white that was warm because of the house and like it's an honestly Valerie he's just got an (laughs) idea I reckon we went through 50 white paints before we found the paint that we thought we were going to do so then my husband god love him painted one of the rooms decided that the white that we had chosen was too cold, too blue, Mm. Um, and so he then, we had to go through the whole process again, we chose another one, and he repainted the room with the other white. Oh, my. Just giving it to you straight, people. Okay. Yeah. And so now we have beautiful, I can't remember the name of it, don't ask me what white we ended up with, please. Um, (laughs) But we now have gorgeous, gorgeous white rooms. That, that are sounds just a little perfectly bit warm. A bit better than because um, during COVID, I guess we were so bored. Um, so my partner decided, oh, I'm going to paint this internal door. He 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 said he his internal door he, to his study blue, even though the blue. rest of the I know bizarre like this blue color. And he mm. goes, you should paint a door too. And I'm like, oh, I don't really want to paint a door. Go on, paint a door. Okay. So, okay. What color do you want? I went, oh, well, pink. So we go to. Oh, no, stop. He's got a blue door and you've got a pink one? Well, he's got, he had a blue door. It's like, being at the, it's like being at a club and you've got the ladies and the men's. What is that? Anyway, so I go to Bunnings, well, might attend. And um, there's a particular pink and she's explaining how to mix all this because, you know, the pink I want is not completely off the shelf. Buy all the stuff and I have it all there to paint my door pink. And then we decide the blue door and the pink door don't work and just paint them white. <laughs> so I've got all this left over. <laughs> that sounds about right. Oh, that's the other thing I forgot to tell you. The other thing I did this week in the midst of all of that stuff that was going on was that I got together with my husband and my brother and we painted the western wall of my parents' house, mm. the external wall, all the way to the roof line. So my brother was, you know, up on the roof in his bare feet, you know, painting the mm. painting the barge boards. Yeah, because the western sun is so hot, oh. it's faded just that one side of the house. And I have to say, I haven't painted a black like that for quite a long time. It's exhausting. I don't oh. know how people do it as a job. It's oh. exhausting. I understand. Um, uh, so this is so you want to be a renovator. <laughs> Jeez, I'll tell you what, the, the, everyone's turned off now. It's just you and off. me. It's literally just you and me chatting away here and they're all going, they've forgotten we're here, right? <laughs> all right, we better wrap up. Where, are you, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontate.com if you still want to. You'll find me at alisontate.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook 
and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? <laughs> You'll find <laughs> Behind me. Behind the pink door. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.